Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad you're here with us today. If you're new, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And happy seventh birthday uh, on Tuesday. But we celebrated today. So um, I, I don't know where seven years went. It feels like it's only been like two or three, but seven years have rocked on and so grateful for what God has done in our church family over the past seven years and excited about what God is going to do in the next seven years plus. So hopefully we're around for a whole lot longer than just seven more years, but super excited to be a part of this church family. And uh, thanks for you being a part of our church family as well. Um, for those of you who noticed I wasn't here last week, I was taking my oldest two daughters to college in upstate New York. And I have to tell you, if you don't know, that's a very long ways away. It's like 3,000 plus miles up and back. And I ask that you pray for my girls because they are Flagler, Florida girls. And if you know anything about upstate New York, you understand that there's something coming in just like a few weeks maybe or months and it's called snow. Um, so just be uh, in prayer for my girls as they're transitioning. So they're doing well where they're at and uh, super excited for them as they're transitioning. My oldest, this is her third year there. And then my, my second daughter, Maddie, this is her first year there. So just be in, in prayer for them and be in prayer for our family because we've gone to four kids at home to two kids at home. And we're wondering like, where is everybody? Like, where'd they go? So um, we're all adjusting to that. And um, my kids are doing well. So keep, um, keep them in your, your prayers if you would. Now, today we're going to do a, a kind of a standalone message based upon an experience I had back in January. And back in January, I had the, the incredible privilege of going to the nation of Israel with a group of people, some from here, some from other churches in our community, some from people uh, outside of our state. But uh, you'll see a picture here coming up of the team that I got to be with when I went to the nation of Israel and uh, um, had an amazing experience. And when I got back, a number of you asked me, are you going to do a service based upon your experience? And my answer to everybody then was no, like no way. Like I, I can't even, I'm struggling to, to put together all the pieces and all the information that, that I got there on that trip. It was like taking a seminary class or high level college class in 10 days. And I felt like I was trying to take a sip out of a fire hydrant. So like I, like I could not absorb all the information. And there were some days my mind just clicked off and our guide kept talking. And I'm like, just keep talking, but I have no idea what you're saying because like I can't absorb all this information. But what an amazing experience. You know, you spend um, much of your life or even a part of your life reading the Bible and then to go to the place where the Bible was written and to see firsthand uh, what you're reading in scripture. And, and I've got so many mental pictures uh, of, of what I read in scripture. Now, when I read a passage, I can go, oh, I know where that was. I was in that spot. I can see that specific thing. So it was an amazing experience. So what I'm gonna do today is today's service is gonna be broken into two parts. So the first part is gonna be a picture slideshow. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, really? We're going to watch your, you know, your vacation to Disney? Like, here, here I am with Mickey. Here I am with Minnie. <laughs> That'll be super fun. So here's what I hope for you as you're watching this. 
I hope as you see these pictures, you'll be able to walk out today and go, oh, like when, when I'm reading scripture, like I've got a mental picture of that place. Like, oh, that's what that looked like. And maybe it'll help you read your Bible a little differently, like it's helped me read my Bible a little differently as well. Um, and then the second part of today's message, I'm gonna transition into uh, a place that uh, we got to go, and it's a place that Jesus took his disciples. One of the big deals about this trip for me was, was being able to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It was just a humbling experience to be in some of those spots where Jesus was, to know that Jesus was like, I don't know if I'm standing where he stood, but I know Jesus was right here in this environment. And he was inviting people to follow him, something that he's still doing today. So the second part, we'll, we'll zero in on uh, something that uh, I've learned at a specific place that we went to there. So here we go. If you're ready for super exciting picture slideshow, Here's our first picture. So this is the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is broken into three parts. The, the northern part is, is uh, the region of Galilee. The middle section is the region called Samaria. And the southern section is the region called Judea. And we flew into Tel Aviv, which is on the Mediterranean coast there. And then we drove up to Galilee. We spent a lot of time around Galilee. And then we made our way down to the Judean area and spent some time around Bethlehem, spent some time around Jerusalem, spent some time around a place called Masada and in Gedi and the Dead Sea. Uh, just a, a really cool experience on both sides of, of that country. Now, this little piece of land is known in the Bible as the promised land. And listen to where that comes from. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, this is uh, God speaking to a man named Abram. Abram, at that time, we know him as Abraham. And God said to him, I want you to leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and I want you to go to the place that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then if you, if you understand Jewish history, uh, you know that Moses uh, led the nation of Israel out of 400 years of captivity to the Egyptians and led them up to the promised land. And then Joshua led them into the promised land. Again, this is just a, a portion of the land that was promised to the nation of Israel. But that one verse there is one of the verses in scripture that gives us our, I think our instructions as Christ followers and I think as a nation, I think we have a huge responsibility to be strong supporters of the nation of Israel because God said that he had chosen them as especially chosen people and he will bless those who bless the nation of Israel and he will curse those who treat the nation of Israel with contempt and because of the nation of Israel, we and all the entire world are blessed. And we get that blessing through the life of Jesus Christ. And, and so if you're a Christ follower, you have been blessed because of Jesus, because God chose the nation of Israel and chose Jesus to come out of that, that, uh, that nation. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, you are still blessed because of what God has chosen to do through the nation of Israel. That verse um, helps us understand much of the conflict that happens in the Middle East. And I don't know if, if you watch the conflict in the Middle East, but I can remember from middle school on wondering like, what is going on over there? 
Why are they always fighting? Like, can't somebody just like put them in timeout and then, you know, make them make up and be friends? Well, that verse from God's promise to the nation of Israel is a piece of that puzzle, why there's so much conflict around the nation of Israel. Now look at this next picture. See the little sliver of yellow in the middle? That's the nation of Israel. See all the countries around Israel? Many of those countries do not like Israel, and they would love to wipe it off the planet. Now, I see that, and I wonder, that doesn't look too hard. Like, like why is that so difficult? Like, I would think they could go in on the weekend and, and wipe them off the planet. Why has that not happened? Because of God's promise back in Genesis. I, I will bless you. And God's hand of favor, God's hand of protection is on the nation of Israel. And I think we as a nation should be strong supporters of Israel. And we as individual Christ followers should always be strong supporters of Israel. Now, this next picture here. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee, at least the, the northern piece of that. This is a picture taken from our hotel. And uh, again, we made our way up to around the Sea of Galilee. This is where much of Jesus' ministry happened. Um, so around here is where the feeding of the 5,000 plus people happened. Uh, this is the body of water that Jesus walked on. Uh, so an amazing experience to, to be there. You see this next picture is a, a boat ride that we got to take across the, uh, that body of water. And just, and again, um, it's so difficult to verbalize the experience. If you've had an amazing experience somewhere and you take pictures and then you get back and you look at your pictures like, that's not what it looked like. I mean, it's so hard to, to share with people. So that's, I'm struggling with that this morning. But to, to be on that boat and to be uh, moving across that water where Jesus walked across the water, proving his deity. Um, just an amazing experience there. Um, but we had that, the privilege of that. See, this next picture is the traditional site of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. Now, I used to wonder, like, how could they know that? Like, how can anybody know where something happened, you know, over in Israel? Like, why would they say that's the, the traditional site of that? Well, being there, I understood how they could say that. So the landscape dictates much of where something could happen and where something couldn't, hap couldn't happen. You notice off in the distance there, you see the mountains. Well, to understand where the villages were and how close they were together around the Sea of Galilee, you begin to understand there are only a few places where Jesus could gather people for a conversation like that. This is one of them. Um, and so what they've done here in that environment, they build a church that kind of um, holds the history there. And we had the privilege of sitting there and, and looking across that. Now, this next picture is, is a, a really special picture for me because this is a shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. If you understand what Jesus did with his disciples, many of them were uh, fishermen, professional fishers, fishermen. And so Jesus walked the shoreline and we got to walk the shoreline and look out and see kind of mentally picture what Jesus would have seen, boats and, and guys working on nets. And he invited a number of those people, hey, why don't you come and follow me and I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. And Jesus is still walking the shoreline of people's lives and he's inviting people to come and be one of his followers. And, and I think we'll hear that today, that Jesus is still gonna invite people 
to do that. So that was a very special place to be. This next picture is a panoramic picture of the Sea of Galilee from that location. Just a beautiful environment. Next picture is just the sign outside of the town of Capernaum. It's a town of Jesus, town of Peter. So this is a town that Peter lived in and uh, uh, where Jesus started his ministry out of. And this next picture you'll see, this is believed to be Peter's home. One of the disciples um, of Jesus is believed to be his home. Um, is that his home? I'm not sure. Uh, they built a church over it. If you notice the top part of that, that gray part is actually the bottom of a church built over this location. Again, uh, when there was a, a spiritually significant place, historically significant place, often what they would do is build a church over it, which helps kind of pr preserve that location. So whether this is Peter's home or not, I'm not sure, but that was the town that he lived in. This next picture is part of the ruins of that town that we got to explore a little bit. We actually got to go into their synagogue. So which would be their, their temple, which would be their church. And we got to stand in the location where Jesus taught. Jesus taught in that, that location, in that synagogue. And we got to be in that spot and just amazing experience. I had somebody from our, our first trip um, in the first service today and, and she said on her way out, she said, tell people, if you want to have goosebumps like for 10 days, go on this trip. And uh, that was an experience that many of us had, you know, just goosebumps like, I'm standing where Jesus stood in this environment. He was in this building, and, and we had the privilege of standing in that same spot. Uh, this next picture is called Tel Megiddo. Um, Megiddo is a, a town, or actually a, a, a city, a fortified city uh, with walls, and it was a city that actually Solomon had made into one of his chariot cities. So it was a, a city that was around before Solomon got a hold of it, but when Solomon be became king, he fortified it as one of his communities, one of his towns, a chariot uh, cities for protection. So it's got this vast wall around it, and it's built up. Up. Uh, there's multiple layers of generation of generation of people living in that spot. And so what they've did, that what they've done there is they've taken a cut out of it, kind of like you cut a piece of a pie, and they've, they're looking at all those different generations of people that have lived there and going back in history. And we're talking about a 3,000 plus year old community. So amazing uh, community. It's funny, um, when we were up north coming back, we stopped in D.C. for a little bit, and we're looking at American history. And it, man, I love history. It's fascinating to look at. But after being in Israel, I'm like, what's like, you know, three, 400 years in America? Like, I've been to a place where it's 3,000 plus years old. Like, wow, that's amazing. So that was a really cool experience. This next picture is a picture from the top of Tel Megiddo looking out over the Jezreel Valley, which if you know Bible history, you know that this is a place Bible, the Bible predicts will be the Battle of Armageddon. So we're talking end time stuff. So Balamar Armageddon is a place where humanity gathers in, re in rebellion against God to, to fight against God. And God shows up with one swipe of his sword. The battle is over. If you're a Christ follower, aren't you glad you are on God's side? You should be. This next picture um, is a picture of a petrified bone from that location. But if you look around it, you'll see um, little pieces of pottery. Many of the, the locations that we went had pottery everywhere. And um, I became a fan of picking up pottery. And so every spot we'd go, I had a little bag and I'd pick up pottery and I found one with a little paint on it, which is really cool. And you know, the significance of that is if this is legitimate pottery, we're talking at least 1,500 plus years old pottery that I'm like, wow, I, I wish I could have brought home enough for all of you, but I didn't. I didn't bring enough home for that. But I was looking for pottery everywhere, found this, um, this bone, uh, petrified bone, took it to our le leader and like, like, 
do people find bones here? And like, yeah, people find bones here as well. So I decided that I would leave that there. Like, I don't know if this is Solomon's knee bone or something, but I'm thinking it should stay here and not come to my office. So again, I don't know if this stuff is legit or if a worker comes out 15 minutes before a crew comes, you know, and then shakes out pottery so that people will come back year after year. I don't know. But either I have the fake stuff in my office or the real stuff. Either, either way, it's pretty cool. Next picture, port of Caesarea. So this was a little fishing village, and then King Herod got hold of it, Herod the Great. And he made this into a huge port, uh, and it would have interaction between him and Rome. So he was placed in authority by Rome, and so he wanted to be a good Roman citizen. And uh, so he built this incredible port that, that had this merchandise interaction between Rome. And uh, this next picture, he had an amphitheater built there, and, and really, he, he took on major influence of that Roman culture. And, um, and if you know anything about Herod, he was the guy who wanted to kill baby Jesus. And uh, he got off track a little bit in his relationship, lack of relationship with God. But he is known as one of the greatest Jewish builders of all time. We actually went to uh, his fortress in Masada, amazing fortress that he built. You could stay in there for years and not be bothered by the outside world. That was an amazing experience as well. This picture, the next picture is one of my favorite pictures. It's at at that spot. Um, This is actually a a 1,500-year-old toilet that I had the chance to spend some time doing some work on. Okay, on to the next one. I thought you might enjoy that. Sorry if that offends anybody. This next picture, this is the Jordan River, and we had the, the privilege of going to the Jordan River. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, not in this location, but we had the privilege of going to the Jordan River and baptizing several people um, in that body of water. Very, very significant. Next picture shows the vast vegetation that's found in the nation of Israel. Now, I had in my mind, like, I'm going to go, and we're going to like walk around dusty roads all the time. We're going to be in the desert constantly. That's not the experience I had. I mean, almost everywhere we looked, you could tell where Israel um, ended and another country began. Where Israel was, it was green. Where Israel wasn't, it was brown. It was, it was dirt. Um, it's just amazing what the nation of Israel has done with the vegetation in that area. Now, they do have some uh, uh, desert-type environments down in the, the Judean wilderness, um, but much of Israel is green like that. Next picture is the Church of the Nativity. Um, This is believed to be the place where Jesus was born, and they built a church on top of that. Next picture is uh, the spot where you can actually get to. People believe that that Jesus was actually born right there, and there's a little cave inside that church that you can walk down in. It doesn't really feel like a cave in that moment, but you can walk down in there, and you can get down on this little slab, and you can reach your hand down in the star, and you can touch the bedrock where they believe that Jesus was born. Was that the location? I don't know, um, but it was a pretty cool experience. Next picture is is, uh, some caves found in a community called Qumran. And this is where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from. So if you know anything about that, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947 by a little shepherd boy. He went back in some of these caves and he found all this pottery. And inside the pottery were all these parchments that were the Old Testament 
written out. Many books of the Old Testament recorded. I think the only book that was not captured there was the book of Esther. And so in 1947, we were able to look at those things, not me, but Bible scholars, were able to look at those things, compare those to the copies of the Bible that we have. Um, and so this is an amazing gift that, that we've been given through um, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Next picture is us standing on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem. Um, this is a place that Jesus stood and wept over the nation of Israel and wept over Jerusalem and walked down in. And on one you know, Sunday, Palm Sunday, was, was hailed king and then was later, a week later, was crucified by that group of people there. Um, next picture is the Wailing Wall. So we had the privilege of going down to the Wailing Wall and praying on the, on the Wailing Wall. And um, it was really cool, great experience for me personally. I got to um, just go to that spot and I prayed for a number of you. Uh, by name, personally, I prayed for our church family. Um, very, very um, significant place. And if you look at those big blocks that are there, uh, those were placed there by King Herod. So we're talking about before Jesus was born. Um, and we got to walk around that, and we got to walk on some of the streets where Jesus would have walked to come to the temple for sacrifice. Next picture is the Temple Mount. This was a really strange experience because um, in, in Jerusalem and in other parts of Israel, there's this collision of culture and religion. And the Jews or the, the um, Israelites, they don't control the Temple Mount. So the top where you see that gold dome, they don't control that. That's controlled by the Jordanians, not by Israel. And when we walked up onto the Temple Mount, it was a very different feeling than when we were outside that, that Temple Mount. So it's just strange. I mean, this is the Temple Mount where the original temple um, that was built for people to interact with God, uh, the Jews back in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. This next picture is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Um, this is the spot believed to be, one of the spots believed to be where Jesus was crucified and then buried. And again, they built a church over that. So you can walk into this church, you can walk up the steps to the right, and then you'll see this bedrock. And um, go ahead to the next picture. You'll see at the, the bottom where that guy is kind of kneeling down to his right and to his left, there's this glass encasement behind that. That is the bedrock where they believe that was the hill that Jesus was crucified on. You can get under that altar, you can reach in, you can reach down, and you can touch the bedrock where, again, where they believe that Jesus was crucified. Now, this next picture shows another location where they believe uh, Jesus was crucified. It's called the Garden Tomb. This is where they believe he was buried. And experientially, when you go into that church and then you go to this location, this location kind of feels more like it should be the spot where Jesus was buried. Not exactly sure which one it was, but it has much more of that feeling. And, and just so you know, I went inside and Jesus wasn't there. If you wondered, okay. Next picture, we got to take communion in that location. We're gonna take communion today. Um, something that Jesus asked his followers to do. We've been doing it for you know, 2,000 years since Jesus left. And uh, we had the privilege of doing that there. Very special um, encounter. And then this last picture that we have is a picture, you can't quite see it from this angle, um, but this is also believed to be the hill that Jesus died on. It, it's called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And from another uh, vantage point, that when you look at it, you can see what looks like a skull. 
And just amazing to see that. Now, there's been an earthquake several years ago, so it's kind of knocked off one of the, the, the nose region of that. But prior to that, they've got these pictures that show like, wow, that looks like a skull. That could be the specific spot where, where Jesus died and then was buried and then resurrected from the grave. Again, was it there? Not sure. Um, but you also notice there's some buses down there. This is a common bus station where people move. And, you know, here and there, jump on the bus to go across town or come into town or whatever. And it's amazing to, to stand in that spot and look at all those buses going everywhere and people hustling, bustling everywhere and to realize, you know what? So many people are so close to Jesus, but so busy, they miss him. And I wonder that for our own lives. How many of us are so busy that we miss Jesus and what he's trying to do in our world and what he did for us personally? Do, do we miss that? because we are so busy. Um, so I think that's the, the last of the, the pictures I have there. And just understand how difficult it is for me to capture that. And that just doesn't do the, the full justice of, of what I, I want it to do um, for you. But I want you to hopefully be able to go home and take a few of those pictures with you, a little bit of that information, and, and maybe it'll help you read your Bible just a little differently. Now, if you would say like, hey, I would love to go to Israel, I, I hope that, that you do. I, I wish I could take all of you. But we have a, an opportunity coming up in January 2018 where we're going to try to take another trip of people to go. So if you're interested, if you've always wanted to go, or if you're considering that, we're going to have an informational meeting next week after both services. So right after after each service, just come to the service, and then you can go straight to that information meeting. It'll tell you about it. It's one of the cheapest trips I've ever come across, um, and we've got about a year and a half out, to, so you know, hopefully we can do some saving towards that, but I guarantee you this, you'll never read your Bible the same way again if you go on that trip. I guarantee it. Um, so if you're interested in that, come to that. If, if you can't make that meeting, let me know, and we'll get you the information for that. Now, we're going to transition, part two, okay? So everybody still with me? Yeah. All right, did I put everybody to sleep? Great. All right. Awesome. So hang on. We're, we'll, uh, we'll turn the corner here. So one of the, the most um, meaningful parts of that trip for me was to be where Jesus was and to walk the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, to be in many of the places where Jesus led his disciples. And, and we're going to talk about a place now where Jesus led his disciples and had this very significant conversation that impacts all of us today. And Jesus asked his disciples a question that he's still asking today. And so we're gonna get a chance to interact with something that Jesus asked his disciples. Just a really cool experience. So Jesus took his disciples one day on a field trip and he gave them a pop quiz. Now, anybody like pop quizzes? Nobody. All right, we had two people in the first service raise their hand and I, I didn't say it from the stage. I'm like, you guys are liars. Like nobody likes, well, madam, sorry. I, that's not appropriate to say because maybe they do. But um, I don't know too many people that like pop quizzes. But if you think about it, we get pop quizzes in life all the time. So if you happen to get pulled over by one of our sheriff deputies in the community, and that sheriff, de sheriff deputy asked you the question, excuse me, sir, excuse me, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? That's kind of a pop quiz. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of be prepared for an answer to that pop quiz. Uh, if you're dating someone, and that person asks, where do you see this relationship going? <laughs> Guys, that's a pop quiz. <laughs> and your answer to that question will often determine what happens in the relationship from, from that point on. If you run into your boss at work, you know, you just cross paths and maybe you're trying to avoid your boss, don't want to make eye contact, and your, and your boss says, hey, what are you working on today? That's kind of a pop quiz. 
You know, you kind of be, need to be prepared for that. Um, so we get pop quizzes all the time in, in life. And, and Jesus took his disciples on this field trip and asked them a pop quiz. Now, where Jesus took them for this pop quiz was a very significant place for the question that he was going to ask. So listen to the, the location of that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and we'll get to what he asked them in just a minute. So Caesarea Philippi is a little city found on the northern border of the nation of Israel. And there should be a picture coming up here for that. Um, so there's that picture. You see Caesarea Philippi. It's north of the Sea of Galilee. So it's really on that northern border end. And it was kind of made famous because of one guy. His name was Herod Philip. All right, Herod Philip was one of the sons of Herod the Great. So Herod Philip wasn't as great as his dad, but so he got this, this little region in Galilee that he was ruler over. And so he named this city in partly in honor of Caesar, wanted to make Caesar and Rome happy, and partly in honor of himself. So Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea in honor of Caesar, Philippi in honor of himself. Now, the reason that this city became a city at all was because of this next picture. So this picture shows a cave and a mountainside in that region. Now, this specific cave at that time had vast amounts of water gushing out of it on a consistent basis, and it was believed they couldn't measure the depths of it because so much water was coming out on a regular basis. And um, in, in Jesus' day, and hopefully you know, we can all understand this, the value of water, how important water is. You know, we live here in Florida, we're you know, somewhat in the rainy season, so we don't fully grasp that, but anybody live in, ha have lived in California or Arizona, or someplace like that, or gone like maybe on a trip to Africa or something in some parts of, of the world where you've seen when there's no water, I mean, it's a life and death issue. And so in Jesus' day, the Old Testament days, uh, it, water was a really big deal. And so what people would do when they got to a source of water that was a significant source of life for them, they would build temples, in honor of their gods that they were serving. And this is a spot where many temples were built in that specific location. Now, this next picture is going to show um, there was a, several earthquakes that, that kind of moved the, the mountain a little bit. So the water doesn't gush out of the mouth of that cave anymore. It kind of comes out in other spots. But that is a spring. And that spring, the majority of that spring feeds the Jordan River, which is a very significant river in Israel today and was back then. Now, uh, what they would do in those days, they would build these temples. This next picture shows some of the ruins uh, of the place where, where people would build these temples and etched into the wall. Um, we still have uh, these spots where you see where they would set up a statue and, and worship um, that God in that spot. This next picture shows um, the, an artist rendering of what that could have looked like. And, and we were able to go there and we were able to walk around the ruins and see much of this stuff that is still there. Some of the buildings obviously aren't there, but we're able to see the different places. So there are multiple temples built to multiple gods there. Now, there were two specific gods that were worshiped in that spot. The one was, was called Baal. And Baal was basically the god of power, money, and sex. Now, I know this is crazy, but people back then used to bow down and worship power, money, and sex. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? 
Like we would never imagine doing that today. Like who would worship those things? But they did that back then. Hopefully you can tell them being sarcastic because we do that all the time. But so that's what they were doing back then. Another God that they worshiped was the God called Pan. Pan was believed to be half human and half goat. And they believed that he was born in that cave. And Pan is where we get the word panic. It's where we get the word pandemonium. And he was the God in charge of creating panic in your enemies. So when you were going to battle, you wanted Pan to show up and create chaos for your enemies so you could go in and defeat them. So what would happen in, in Jesus' day, prior to Jesus' day, is people would, would offer sacrifices to Baal and Pan in that location. And they would sacrifice animals. And many Bible scholars believe they would sacrifice humans as well. And what they would do when they sacrifice a human, they'd sacrifice an animal. They would throw this animal or this human, this sacrifice into the mouth of the cave. And if it was spit right back out, or if there was blood that would show up down the stream, then it was believed that the gods had rejected your sacrifice and things weren't gonna go well for you. But it was believed that if the sacrifice stayed in the cave and went down into the water, and if there was no blood that, that came out down in, in the, uh, the stream, uh, downstream, then it was believed that your sacrifice was accepted and things would go well for you. So imagine what Jesus' disciples must have thought when Jesus brought them here. Jesus, what are you thinking? Where did you bring us? Like, what is this place? This, was, this place was also called uh, the gates of hell. People thought this was the entrance to the gates of hell. They thought this was the entrance to where Baal and Pan lived. And so they would worship at this spot thinking all the power comes from in this one little location and Baal and Pan are in there giving us their decisions. And imagine what Jesus' disciples would have thought. And when they saw the sights, they smelled the smells, they watched the sacrifice and, and they, I'm sure they would have thought, Jesus, what are we doing here? This is an evil place. Why would you bring us to this specific location? So back to our pop quiz. Verse 13, Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he gave his disciples a pop quiz. He asked them, who do people say that the son of man is? Now, that was a reference to himself. So he was basically asking, who do people say that I am? In verse 14, most of them responded. Said, well, uh, some people say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Basically, what they were saying is people think you're a dead guy who's come back to life. And most of them answered. And then Jesus asked them a harder question in verse 15. He said, but who do you say that I am? A little different question. And when we see how many people answered, we have one person that answers that one. We had multiple ones that answered previously. And I wonder if there was kind of that pregnant pause, that, that awkward moment, like, oh, no. Let's, let's tie our sandals. Don't make eye contact with Jesus. Like, I don't, don't call me Jesus like I hope. Like, I, what am I going to say? So Peter answers. And Peter says this. Peter says in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Apparently that was a great answer. Because Jesus said, you're blessed, 
Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And then he said, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. It's so amazing to think about the significance of that place in Caesarea Philippi, what was happening in that location. They were standing at what people believed were the gates of hell. It's amazing that Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then, who do you say that I am? So let's step back from that and think for a moment, like what was Jesus saying? What was being said without being said? I think several things. One is, I think Jesus was saying, like, I'm more powerful than anything you could ever worship. I'm more powerful than any God you could ever come up in your mind or imagine. I'm more powerful than, than power. I'm more powerful than money. I'm more powerful than sex. I'm more powerful than any of these gods that you sacrifice for. And I'm more powerful than anything that could ever stand against you. I think Jesus also communicated to his disciples, like, like I can just picture them standing there looking like on a hillside, looking down at that cave. And I can, I can picture Jesus kind of saying, guys, do you understand how powerful I am? Because in a short time, I'm going to die. I'm going to prove my power because I'm going in there. I'm going in to the gates of hell, obviously symbolically speaking. But I'm going into the gates of hell. And what am I going to do there? I'm going to defeat the curse of sin and death that humanity brought into the world. And then I'm going to come back. And I'm going to prove to you what I did. Because I'm going to come back with a souvenir. That souvenir is I'm going to bring back the keys to the kingdom of heaven when I come back. Now, if you're wondering, these aren't the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is just my keys in my car, my office, and my house. But I think Jesus was, was saying, guys, I, I'm going I'm to make everything right again. I'm going to make it possible for you to have your own set of keys to the kingdom. Do you know what the keys to the kingdom are? The key to getting into the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity is based upon Peter's confession. What Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the savior of the world. So it's based upon a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where we make that same declaration, where we say, yes, like I believe, I, I know who you are. You're more powerful than any of these gods that we, we bow down and worship. They, they aren't gods at all. You are the one true God. You're the Messiah, the savior of the world, and you are my Messiah, my personal savior. That's what it means to have a set of the keys to the kingdom. And I've got to ask, do you have a set? Because if you don't have a set of keys to the kingdom, when you die from this life and you pass into the next life, you won't spend eternity in a real place called heaven. You'll spend eternity in a real place called hell. Now, I think Jesus is still giving that pop quiz. I think he's still asking people, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question today? Is Jesus, in your opinion, just a mythical figure that religious leaders made up to keep everybody following their rules? 
Is Jesus a good teacher, somebody we can learn good things from, but he's not really the savior of the world? I mean, there's many you know, paths to, to find God or to find eternity. Or is Jesus your Messiah, your savior? And if he is, does your life prove that? With people at work, people at school, people at home, will they look at you and say, you're one of those Jesus followers because of how you live? I watch your life. I watch how you live. Would, would, they, would they make that claim about you? Or would people be super surprised that you're a, a Christian, that you're a Christ follower? Does your life kind of prove that you've made this declaration? Does your life prove that you have a set of keys to the kingdom and you want other people to have those keys as well? Now, listen to what um, Romans 10.9 says. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, that confession, the foundation of what Peter was talking about when he said, you're the Messiah. And it is the only way to spend eternity in a real place called heaven with the God who loves you deeply. So today I want to give you an opportunity to answer the question that Jesus asked. And some of you, you would say, you know what, I've already answered that question. I've already determined that Jesus is my Messiah. If you have, awesome. I'm so glad for, for you. I've made that decision in my life. I'm so glad for you. And I pray that, that you will live in confidence with, with that decision that you've made. But there might be a few people here today who would say, you know what, I don't know that I've made that decision. I don't know that I've answered that question. Uh, so again, let me tell you, it's not about being a, a good person. You don't get keys to the kingdom of heaven because you were good enough. None of us can be good enough. We've all sinned in, in small ways and big ways. It's about that personal relationship where we recognize Jesus is the Messiah and he did what we could not do. So if you're in that spot and you'd say, you know what, like, like today, like I want to make that decision, then I'm going to walk you through a way that you can do that. I call it the ABC prayer of salvation. It's pretty simple. And I, I usually use this when I'm walking people through this decision. Uh, and um, so let me just tell you what it is. So first, A, is I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus came as a savior. And so if we're not able to admit, hey, I've sinned in either big ways or small ways, then, then we're saying like, I don't need a savior. But that's why God the Father sent Jesus to be our savior. So we have to admit it. Like, hey, I, I've messed up. I need a savior. B, I believe that Jesus is that savior and he died so I can live. And then C, is I commit to follow him the rest of my life. Just, I, I commit, like I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus from this point until I stand before God from, when I pass from this life into the next life. I think it's that simple. I think it's that simple. A genuine prayer like that. Now, here's the deal. I, I, almost, I think I say this almost every time when I'm trying to lead people through this thing called salvation. You can say these words and it mean nothing to you for all of eternity. This isn't the secret code. This isn't the secret formula. So you can say it, mean nothing. Or you can say something like it and it can mean everything for you today and for all of eternity. 
So what I'd like to do is I'd like to just guide us through this. And so in a moment, I'm gonna ask us all to, to bow our heads and close our eyes and then we'll pray together just for you know, personal privacy. And, and uh, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never made that decision, you never answered that pop quiz question that Jesus is still asking, and if you would like to, today I'd like to guide you in how to do that. So let's all pray together. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you would say, hey, today's the day. Today's the day that, that I am ready to answer that question. And I understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Then I encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart to God. God, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe, Jesus, you are that savior who died so I can live. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life. Now, with everybody's head still bowed and eyes still closed, um, I'd like to do something that I haven't done very often in the life of our church. But if, if you're in that spot where you've prayed that prayer for the first time today, I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. I'm gonna ask you to look at me because I, I'd like to say some direct things to you. So if there's anybody in that spot, please, please look at me. And the lights are a little bit in my eyes. So, so look directly at me so I know you're looking at me. And I'll take a moment to, to look in each, each section and see. So I've, I've got several that looks like they're looking at me. I'm scanning slowly just so I can see. Okay, I see in that section as well. Awesome, okay, great. Let me talk directly to you who are looking at me. Welcome to the family of God. You have just made the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. You've just been adopted into God's family. And when you stand before him one day, as the Bible teaches, we'll all stand before God. As you stand before him, you'll be able to say, why should you let me into your heaven? Because I got a set of keys to the kingdom. Jesus went into the gates of hell and got them for me. So welcome to the family of God. I encourage you to do several things. Number one, I encourage you to, to grab a Bible before you leave. If you have a Bible at home, great. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back of each seating section. Take one of those with you and start reading the book of John so you can get well acquainted with the life of Jesus. I encourage you to keep coming back every Sunday. So you can keep growing in this new relationship that you have. I also encourage you to get baptized. We've got a baptism coming up in just over a month and we'll be at the ocean. It'll be an amazing experience. So I encourage you to come back uh, for that. And then I encourage you today, one final thing is when you take communion, take communion understanding you are a new member of the body of Christ. So let me pray for you and then uh, we'll transition to communion. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for these people who are here today, Lord, so excited for them. Lord, they just made the most important decision they could ever make in their lives beyond any other decision that we could make. Lord, this decision affects us for all of eternity. So Jesus, thanks for the pop quiz. Thanks for the, the opportunity for us to still answer that you are the Messiah, 
Lord, I pray for these folks. I pray that they would grow strong in their relationship with you. I pray that they would get grounded in your word and they would read the Bible on a consistent basis and apply it to their lives. I pray they would get connected in our small groups. I pray they would get connected in serving. I pray they'd get, just get connected and growing to be the people that you want them to be. So God, thank you for the gift of salvation and the opportunity that we have to still respond to it. In Jesus' name, amen.